Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth podcast, your environment, sustainability and climate change podcast, which has a look at the big issues, tries to make them a little bit more bite-sized and asks, you know, what the hell can we do to save the planet? I'm Emma and this week I am absolutely delighted to be joined by two very, very lovely ladies from Beaver Trust. We have Sophie Pavel, science communicator, writer, presenter, comms coordinator at Beaver Trust, an all-round good egg. And we've also got Eva Bishop, director of comms at Beaver Trust, everyday environmentalist. I like that phrase, by the way, I'll be pinching that. And the kind of person that brings a beer when you go kayaking. So welcome. Welcome, the two of you. Hello. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. No, no, absolutely my pleasure. And of course, the last thing that you both are is you're now also both podcasters, hosts of the Beaver Trust new (laughs) podcast, The Lodgecast, which we've actually been recording this morning. Produced by the wonderful yours truly, Emma Bristian. Oh, shucks. I'm blushing. Thank you. Um, No, you're both both absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So anyone that remotely likes this podcast should absolutely go and find The Lodgecast because you two are superb. So, I mean, welcome to your next podcast of the day. Um, how, how are you both doing? How's this year been? It's been a little bit of an odd one, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? Some major highs and major lows. Educating at home, major low. Um, mm. <laughs> turns out, our were, you, were you doing it all in the garden? <laughs> no, we the bits we attempted was in the kitchen, and it didn't last long. Um, but but you know, the highs, exploring nature, exploring our local patch, and getting a bit of perspective on what's important in life. So it's been it's been really good for that. It has. Yeah, no, it's been it's just been a it's just been a blur to be honest. I mean, all I can think about really is that this year has just been absolutely crammed full of beavers. <laughs> it's just been twenty twenty has um, been year of the beaver, hundred yeah. percent. It might have been the year of coronavirus, but I feel it's also been the year of the beaver. I've never thought about an animal more. I think it's um, getting eclipsed, to be honest. <laughs> it's just been crazy. All I can think about is a beaver. It's just con- the amount of times between me and Eva. And then the team, how many times do you think we've actually said the word beaver? Countless. And I've accidentally called Eva beaver oh. on another It's an easy mistake well. to make. It's an the easy childhood nickname <laughs> comes back to haunt me at last. Really? <laughs> you, were, yeah. you were Eva beaver as a child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eva beaver. I've, it's time to own it, I think. It is. So your alter ego. <laughs> it is. What are her traits? What are her strengths? <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, um, do you think this year's changed your relationship with nature at all then? Because a lot of people have obviously found a solace in nature and their local green spaces. But, you know, both of you were very nature loving in the first place. I think it's done two things that stand out to me. One is it's given me more time to think about that and enjoy nature because that was one of the silver linings to the first lockdown when everyone really stayed at home and um, had more time. It was it was amazing and it was a really lovely, there was a very short window of really lovely way of life when nothing else seemed to matter and nature could come first and that was really beautiful. And the other thing I think it's done is opened the general public's eyes a little bit more to the potential catastrophe ahead of climate change and therefore the need to connect with nature a bit more and live a little bit more sustainably and um you know even it's played out in people more people wanting to grow veg which is another area that i sort of work in and do a lot of and and that's so nice to see and really lovely to build community and enjoy a bit more nature so yeah those couple of things for me sign me up for all veg growing i'm here for it (laughs) You guys are going to have to teach me how to grow vegetables. I I, I failed miserably, but <laughs> um, there's always time, I suppose. 
Um, I think for me, it's shown how much I take nature for granted because mm. I'm so lucky where I live that I can be on the coast and on the moors and pretty much anywhere I want within a short car journey um, or a bike ride even. And then quite a few of my friends lived in, especially during the first lockdown, like Eva was saying, when we really were restricted there. A lot of my friends live in London and in other cities and were just, it, it really upset me to see how unhappy they were to be so confined um, and so limited and for them to be frustrated at the how almost boring their options for green space were when on social media they were seeing pictures and I tried to be really well I, I try it almost made me take a step back from posting on Instagram because I was like it's all very well me showing how I can be wild swimming and isn't it wonderful to go and you know release the tension in the sea and do all of this but actually it's not very helpful for my best friend who's in London and unhappy mm -hmm. and wishing she could be doing this um and it made me realize what a privilege it, it, it is to be able to to get outside and do that so I think it made me really a lot more aware of how much I just sort of brush off the fact that nature is very much on my doorstep in a big wild way and I'm incredibly lucky because it's not the case for so many people and we've realized this year how vital for our well-being physical and mental that is that that is yeah and I mean I think that's kind of why things like the RSPB's kind of garden bird watch did so well this year or Ooh. even just watching from your window when you have breakfast um because you're right um we were all confined to whatever our local space was and whatever that looked like, whether or not we had a garden or not, or we lived on the edge of a national park or we lived in the middle of a city. There was always something you could find if you looked hard enough and it was just trying to work out what that was for everyone was um, was interesting. Mm. Yeah, certainly. But anyway, we're not, we're not here to talk about birds. We're actually here to talk about beavers. But before we get on to that, oh, yeah. I have a question for <laughs> you both because we start every episode with um, asking everyone, guests included, what one good thing have you done for the planet this week? Now, Eva, I'm going to press pause on you because you sent me a text with about 25 different <laughs> good things that you've done. So first, I'm going to set the bar very low with mine. I bought a new Christmas jumper this year because I didn't have one last year. And the one before that, I put in the wash at too high a temperature and it shrunk to fit a child. Brilliant. Send it so over. this year, <laughs> yes, you could have it for your children. Thank Lovely. You. <laughs> um, so this year I bought one, but I bought it secondhand off of an app called Depop because I'm really trying to avoid fast fashion at the moment. So I am looking forward to wearing that. And it's a really snuggly, like Jack Wills one. So I'm hoping it's actually going to last Ooh. several winters. So that's mine. Nice, nice work. Depop's great. It is. Depop's it really wonderful. is. I've really converted to it this year. What about you, Safe? What one good thing have you done? Um, well, this is slightly controversial, actually, because it involves dairy. And as we know, the dairy industry is largely uh, responsible for an awful lot of the greenhouse gases in our air and in the planet. Um, but what I've been doing is I have been supporting the farmer down the road with his uh, cow herd and been getting milk in the milk. You know, they have those milk dispensary stations oh nice and i came off of dairy about two years ago um because i was concerned i was a huge i just guzzled milk like there was no tomorrow i would just have pints and pints and pints and just get through so much of it because i love it so much um but then i started to read a bit more and re see it was really bad for the planet and that i could there was a very easy action i could do just to eat less of it but i do like proper dairy milk in my tea i just can't do plant milk in my tea i just just oh yeah hate it. it doesn't work it doesn't work at all so 
it doesn't work at all. So this place has like glass bottles you can buy for a pound, you fill up for a pound, and it is proper thick, good milk. The catchment is one mile from where the milk is. Oh, wow. From where the station is. So I go and I fill it up, and it's a lovely activity. I did it with my nephews when they came to visit in the summer, and you press the button and the milk dispenses, and so often you can see that the cows grazing in the field next door, and you know that it's such a good teaching moment for young kids as well mm. you, you can say that is where the milk comes from these cows have made this milk here it is it's in my glass bottle and i'll go refill it next week and it tastes amazing it tastes so good that is super and so that that's what we've been doing a lot during lockdown is getting our milk and supporting the local farmers but i can understand why some people would say that that's a bit of a you know i get it you can I look at it, it both sides but i just don't think it's like we cannot live perfectly and mm. that's yeah. still a very good thing to be doing particularly supporting and local, I'm thinking particularly of food, yeah yeah i'm thinking of food miles as well you know how many food miles does a carton of soy milk have versus my dairy milk down the road that has a mile catchment mm. radius that's the thing with these there's there's always a few nuances and there'll always be a reason to say oh yeah but as opposed mm. to celebrating at least that something's good and the fact that you've thought about it from a lot of different angles as well means that you'll have made that choice in a more informed way and it is likely to be a better choice but yeah mm. no superb i like that eva i made you whittle yours down to top three what have <laughs> okay. you got that's going to put us to shame it's not at all it's not at all but um i'm, str I'm still trying struggling to uh, decide the three <laughs> but i'll kick off on a similar theme so that idea of saying no versus allowing a little bit of fun into your life so i have um this week because my one of my my daughter's birthday is next week so i've got some chocolate spread and i've only ever found two that don't contain palm oil so i've bought one of those and um, palm oil for me is one of the big issues because um if it's linked direct linked to amazon deforestation which is um, frightening um, and so yeah so I've got us a couple of uh, jars of chocolate spread for the sort of birthday and festive season and the next thing is a seasonal one so we have uh, dug up our Christmas tree for the fourth year running I don't know how I've managed to keep it alive but um, having a real wait, this you've is dug amazing it, you've, uh, wait please explain you've you've have you sort of taken it out and then replanted yeah. it and then so four years ago I bought a real <gasps> Christmas tree a smallish Whoa. one um, and every year I put it back out to grow and water it a bit keep it alive and then bring it in for just um, a couple of weeks a year and it has survived four that years so far amazing. amazing I love that you you're got the, the same first person I've ever yeah has it got a name no, it hasn't. Oh, we've missed a trick there. All right, well, let's have tomorrow. Let us know your best your best tree <laughs> names for Eva Beaver's tree because I think it needs one. I think it needs one. But I've got questions. So I bought a real Christmas tree last year in a pot with the intention of keeping it. I don't actually have the space in my garden to you've seen my garden, it's tiny and most of it is vegetable patch. But I don't have the space to dig in a Christmas tree. But I mean, do you like how do you does the roots just grow really slowly so you can just dig it out of the same part again or do you bury it kind of part in a pot what's what's the, the first here? year i left it in its pot um and i mean it's quite a small tree it's not a massive one and it probably helps that my house is pretty freezing um even in winter so it doesn't die and dehydrate in a couple of weeks um but that's why i i don't know it's it's slightly an experiment as well i don't know how long it's going to last but probably by year six it won't enjoy being transplanted anymore um, but I'll keep you posted. I'll keep you posted. And it's so very impressed. satisfying. So and, impressed. And actually, the connection with that the tree is, is quite nice too. 
Um, and then the third one that I really like because it's new to us this year. I have um, my kids are five and seven and we have a forest school inspired advent calendar this year. Ooh. And I am daily fighting off the where's my chocolate because all my friends have chocolate in their advent calendars. Oh, but what this <laughs> what this one is, is a uh, recyclable, fully recyclable uh, an envelope every day which I hide somewhere around the house and it's got a little forest school inspired activity inside that we do and so yesterday we made a um, pinecone bird feeder and so you sort of get out in nature and it's part of advent so and good. it's really fun and it's and it's been put yeah. together handmade by a friend of mine in Bristol at Life Rewilded and um, the website and it's really really cool so I recommend that sort of alternative Do they sell them approach. for adults? Because I could get behind that. <laughs> yes, please. Get involved. It sounds like a really, uh, a, a much healthier version of Elf on the Shelf. Yeah, exactly. I've seen trending around. Actually an activity that's <laughs> making kids feel whether they should be good or bad. <laughs> mm, I love that a lot. Well, well done, both of you. It's both absolutely superb. Superb. Um, should we get on to Beavers? Everyone's favourite? Yeah. Do nice. it. Beavers, yes. <laughs> so, um, beavers, beavers. <laughs> <laughs> let's start at the very beginning. What, I mean, what is a beaver, first and foremost? Where do we find them and what do they look like for anyone that's not been on the internet at all this year? <laughs> so, if you want to take that one? Uh, well, a, a beaver is a rodent, so related to guinea pigs, rats gerbils, hamsters, those sorts of things. And after the capybara in South America, it is the second biggest rodent in the world. And it does look very rodenty. It's got lovely big teeth and it's fully vegan. It does not eat meat or fish. And it um, has the lovely little rodent paws and hands that are actually surprisingly dexterous. And they're bigger than um, you might think, aren't they? They can get up to sort of 30 kilos. They really kilos. are. Mm. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, the big old boys and girls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of both. And um, I mean, tell me about their teeth, because you have shared some amazing facts about their teeth before. And when I first saw beaver teeth, they blew my mind. Yeah, it's their quite so, defining feature, isn't it, really? They're bright orange because they're in, the enamel of beaver's teeth is impregnated with iron um, because they do loads of hardwood gnawing. And they, their teeth never stop growing. They're, it's, they're amazing total weapons um but they are really bright orange fascinating to see like whatever color really of are. orange you're imagining listener it's brighter than that <laughs> it doesn't look it really natural is. does it it's it's they're amazing but you can completely understand when you see a tree that's been felled by a beaver you can completely understand why they need such intensely strong teeth because they are capable of literally taking down massive trees if they put their mind to it and their teeth to it yeah, and their teeth sit outside this inner set of um, lips so that they can gnaw underwater as well without drowning. Do they've they? got some amazing Wait, I didn't know they adaptations. Can't. So have they got like a two-lip situation? or? Yeah, pretty much. That is amazing. Double lips. That's a sneaky fact yeah. that you just sneaky factoid. snuck in there. I like that we got one that Sophie yeah. didn't know. Excellent. Yeah. That'll be coming oh, up in the next Beaver Trust podcast. Cool. <laughs> beaver lips <laughs> secret teeth <laughs> uh, oh dear we're gonna get banned um okay so um, i mean so why why do we love beavers what is it the beavers do for nature and for us why are we all team beaver 
Oh, Team Beaver. I'm going to start this one with my favourite um, analogy of a beaver. So they've been called a hydrological and ecological Swiss army knife by Ben Goldfarb, which is just such a perfect expression of what they do. They, what they do is they transform river habitats. So they build dams and we can explain a bit more about why. But behind that, you get hugely diverse and expansive and wet habitats. And that slows the flow of water to improve flood, slows the flow of water to improve drought resilience, creates huge habitats for biodiversity and attracts more wildlife as well. So you've got better bioabundance. Um, it filters, these dams go down the river, filtering the sediment and the water, um, agri runoff, pollutants. It cleans the water for us. They're just amazing. And they do this just because they want to create a safe space for themselves. They're raising the water level in our headwaters. Um, and so they can move around easily because they swim really beautifully in the mm. water. So they, they dramatically change the landscape um, for the better. I think it's, it's as well is that it's really important to remind ourselves that beavers aren't this kind of unique, altruistic, wonderful mammal that do, is doing all this work for the good of others and the good of humans. That is just a byproduct of their pure biology and how they've evolved. And as Eva said, they do it as a as a safety mechanism. They want their kits and their young to be safe, so they create this habitat that ensures safety for their um, for their little family. And um, simply by having evolved the mechanisms to do that and work the land and feed the way they do, there are all these knock on benefits that just so happen to be incredible. For us, you know, in, in helping mitigate against flooding and helping boost biodiversity during the time when we need it more than ever and bringing back and restoring the wetland ecosystems, 90% of which have been lost due to the way we have used the land in the last 400 years. So they're, they're responsible for the, for, for the return of these um, old, rich, uh, ancient environments that are so robust in terms of the web of life they support and so fundamental to protecting our our environment against extreme weather events against biodiversity loss basically making them really robust and strong so that if stuff like climate change comes along kind of bulldozes them a little bit or tests them they're like okay we'll give a little bit but we can always bounce back and having a really resilient landscape like that just makes it bounce back a little bit better so they're unique in the sense that one like a keystone species, they have a disproportionate effect on the environment for their size and for their sort of presence. They just are absolutely amazing. And they're amazing teachers as well. There's not another animal that teaches like a beaver in terms of helping you to understand no matter how small your knowledge of ecology or environment works or is, a beaver is a great way to help you to just visually see how an ecosystem works from bottom up um and we love them for that very much they are i mean they're quite amazing even if you just saw a beaver i mean they're cute and they're really interesting to look at but um i had the absolute pleasure this summer of going around um chris jones's 
beaver wetland at Cornwall Beaver Project. And to see the transformation that they, they introduced one breeding pair, what, two or three years ago, and the amazing wetland and the diversity of life that this wetland supports. We were just walking around and Chris knows everything, sees everything, hears everything, and he's so generous with his time and his knowledge. And he'll just be pottering around and be like, oh, look, that's X dragonfly and this dragonfly. Oh, I think I saw um, a, a marsh tit. Or so they've had willow tits there, actually. And they've had eight new bird records as a result of the beaver wetlands, one of them, one of mm. which is the willow tit, which is an endangered species. And it needs, um, you know, uh, rotting wood stumps, basically what beavers create, and that constant dynamism mm. in the wetland landscape. They need that. And it's really hard for us to go and create it. And they largely, you know, that they're in, under, it's one of our most endangered birds, I think. Um, and beaver wetlands can help restore that just one example of it it's really really exciting to see yeah i mean we talk we do talk about um like kind of the aquatic life that comes um and the fact that they're creating a much bigger habitat for things like fish and aquatic invertebrates and a lot of insects will spend their life cycles underwater but yeah you're right the the kind of the deadwood that will also come about is a huge source of life for many different creatures but deadwood's not as sexy so it doesn't always get the press but <laughs> it's a habitat that we don't tend to have very often because if we manage land ourselves for humans we don't tend to let wood rot often we remove mm. wood and don't let everything kind of decay and get on and keep supporting things like moths it's it's mad but um yeah beavers are just well we you don't need to convert me i'm a beaver <laughs> fan it's interesting because we view decay and death as something that needs to be removed immediately mm. and cleared up and cleared away but actually nature isn't tidy nature doesn't work like that decay is a fundamental part of ensuring life the continuation of life so it's it, it's it's really interesting to go to places like the Cornwall Beaver Project and almost have a glimpse into the past but also the future because you know if we just let nature have a bit more of a say in the matter that's what we can have again and you know we need to almost just change how we view nature and how we label it um, and it's as as Chris and others have said so many times, the biggest hurdle at the moment is just a change in the human mindset more than anything. Get everyone down to Cornwall Beaver Project. That's what I say. Absolutely. Um, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, they do all of this by creating dams. You mentioned um, why is it that they build dams? Then you said you'd uh, you'd bring some facts in. Yeah, they build dams where they need to increase the height of water to about a metre, which is the depth where they feel um, safe from predation and can build their lodges with underwater entrances. Um, and then beyond that, they sort of uh, canal, um, dig out into the surrounding habitat um, and to create sort of little water passages because they will travel much more easily in water. So it's as simple as that, really. And they will they're managing the plant growth for their own forage around the outside of the beaver wetland as well through systematically damming and they will maintain a dam for a certain amount of time then they might move on to let's another bit and, and focus on that dam and you can have a series of sort of very slowly moving um, sustainably managed leaky dams and one of the fun things here is that we as a human population are putting a lot of money and effort into building man-made leaky dams at the moment to manage as a natural flood mm. management solution and beavers do this all the you know every day of their lives so and they're a very they're a low-cost um solution to, to some of the flood risk we face but importantly they do it best up in the headwaters so um if you put a beaver in a river at random 
you, it'll probably head for deeper water and it will head generally downstream where it'll find that and they don't want to build dams if they don't have to so um, you know there are some wild populations where they where that's not necessary um, so where there I is beaver you won't always find dam exactly no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And they're very adaptable. So, you know, lots of the conflicts that have arisen from between beavers and, and people um, have been because, say, a dam could be quite close to a road and the flooding that happens as a result of the water rising behind the dam um, can spill over and say... a bit of rainy weather to a nearby road or a bit of farmland. And one of the easiest ways to manage this is you can physically alter the height of a dam by intervening and just taking a few inches off. And either the beavers will cope with that and say, that's fine, you know, we'll just carry on and leave it. Or they might just quite literally up sticks and <laughs> move on and rebuild the dam somewhere else. And I wonder where that phrase came from, actually. Up sticks. Maybe that was beavers. Maybe. Let's Maybe attribute that to the beaver. Going too far-fetched. There was a lovely phrase that Benedict MacDonald, who wrote the amazing book Rebirding, coined either in the book or maybe in passing or something I can't quite remember but he referred to the beaver as the original gardeners Ooh. of the landscape gardening and I just love that because beavers are very like other rodents they have these amazing poor forepaws and you know they really are very meticulous in how they build the dams and they use lots of mud and everything and they're just the ultimate example of being resourceful and using what's available to them in the environment and, and as Eva said you know they they build the dams with their foraging plans in mind um, and by doing that they create all sorts of other habitats like the deadwood environments and things for you know not just animals but loads of other plants and river foliage that um, benefits from a wetter more dynamic environment. Worth mentioning at this point they're in exclusively vegetarian so what they're trying to do is coppice willow and things like that which they like and they'll in the summer there's lots of um, fresh plant growth that they'll eat and then in the winter they sort of have a, a, a food cache of um, wood to eat in their lodge so pretty cool. So talk me through the lodge fish. is that oh yeah Th that's very true that's one of the kind of the key misconceptions about the beaver isn't it sometimes people will say oh we don't want beavers in the river because they'll disrupt our fish stocks or they'll eat all the fish which is quite simply not true and somehow we need to change everyone's notion that this is this is going to happen um mm. and in some in some cases they can actually help bolster fish stocks can't they they can the fish side of things is really complex but there is a huge amount of knowledge and research that's been done elsewhere in europe on this same species that we can learn from and use to influence where we reintroduce beavers and how we manage the effects where there are there is an impact um but we must remember that Beavers and fish, you know, particularly migratory fish like salmonids, co-evolved originally. Beavers have been in our landscape for tens of thousands of years and um, building dams alongside the fish. So it's not something to be afraid of, but it's, it's um, you know, we Beaver Trust were working with scientists um, to advise us on some of this and bringing all the voices into the, this kind of debate to make sure that um, we get a really rounded perspective on it. Well, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, beavers have been or were in our landscape historically for such a long time until a point where they weren't. And now the position we're in is we're reintroducing them because they are native to the UK. But um, what happened? Well, we're, we're reintroducing them into a world that has changed beyond recognition since they were last here. And uh, we hunted them for their meat and their fur and they produce this secretion called castorium which was used in aspirin and perfumes and things like that and Eva's made this point before and maybe um, you'll go into it again but how 
the uh, the culture and the society of people in Britain was totally different. There was huge value placed on animals and hunting and things, and that was part of our culture. So that was what was important to us at the time because that's just how it was. Um, and this was around so 400 years of, ago, the sort of time scale. Yeah, so, you know, we can't, we can't berate uh, the people back then for doing what was important to them at the time. Um, in a way, but the you know since then we've had the industrial revolution, the agricultural revolution. The climate has changed massively. Our population has proliferated. So trying to bring a disruptive, industrious mammal back into rivers that we have canalised and dredged and changed and dictated um, is inevitably going to uh, cause some ructions. Um, we you know we have to accept that and be prepared for that. And now it's all about how how to uh, work with what we've got and use the weight of science behind us and try and coexist a little bit better. So what what kind of problems do Beaver Trust and any other kind of keen beaver reintroduction folks face when it comes to actually actually getting beavers back into the UK? What are your hurdles? Um, well, there are there are three things that we're working on as Beaver Trust. So one of them is um, a new national policy in England for beavers, um, supported by the government and DEFRA, so that we can, you know, set the legislative framework in place to support sustainable beaver populations and reintroductions. Um, the second thing we're doing is a in support of that process, we need a huge. Um, education and communication sort of program to help people understand uh, what to expect when beavers come back to a river near you, the measures that one can take um, in order to prevent um, what might be seen as a negative impact from beavers, because you know there, there isn't you cannot reintroduce a beaver and expect no impact. Some will be great, others will be perceived as negative, and and we need to help people understand that and know what to expect and know that there are solutions um, if you want to um, avoid some impact. So, and again, this has all been done to a degree in other European countries, so we can learn a lot and learn from the projects that exist in Britain. So there's beavers in Scotland where we're learning a lot and there are beavers in Devon and, and Kent and various places around the UK. So we, we know a lot now. There is a huge amount of expertise. Um, and we, one of our one of our missions is to try and sort of spread the message, really, spread the word and tell people about them. Get the beavers out there. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded um, more so, sarcastic than I intended. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I am thrilled Bring back about beavers. beavers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you are thrilled about beavers. So, have you got a favourite beaver moment? Walk me through. Oh, I'll give you one of my favourite beaver moments. It's not in Britain, actually. It's the uh, close cousin, oh. the Castor Canadensis. So, a uh, an elderly beaver was once parachuted out of an aeroplane into a nature reserve because it was deemed uh, a better way to get them, <laughs> restore them into this nature reserve. Um, I have, do, do you realise I have such a strange image in my head of like an elderly, I don't know, I'm thinking of like an elderly old man <laughs> falling out of a, a plane with a parachute. This it, kind I, of grizzled, grey streaked beaver yeah. with, um, with one of those kind of goggled hats on ready for totally. landing. It was we, need to, we need more info. <laughs> It was literally, it was after, it, More it was detail, after the war. Please. So the choice was to... Um, We've got a few parachutes stick, left. Stick a, 
Yeah, and we're gonna it was leftover parachutes uh, in a crate. And it was better, it was, <laughs> it, a it was so it. treacherous to get up this track to the nature reserves that they thought, well, we'll just parachute one in, let's see how it goes. And they didn't do it just once. They parachuted the same beaver about five times. Poor thing. A platoon. And yeah, and then and, oh my God. And he survived so, and he was rewarded with this little harem of beaver ladies and lived a happy life in this new nature reserve. Take, take your pick. Such a good beaver story. Oh we, need to make, we need to make a film. We need to make a short feature film about this. Great, this is amazing. There needs to be some kind of cartoon great, at least. Oh, so there are, I'd like there to see are. people's interpretations Have of this. Have a look this. on the web. It's the great oh. Idaho beaver parachuting. It was, it was just so cool. <laughs> conservation I mean I originally meant like personally have you had a really cool beaver experience but I'm so glad that instead you left, that, left to that better. one because that yeah. is amazing <laughs> you're welcome that is cool that's very cool <laughs> well what about you Sophie I had a very exciting encounter with a mummy beaver um in lockdown earlier this spring where I had I was in a place where um, I was frust- I was loving beavers and loving everything to do with beavers, but feeling vexed and frustrated that I live near where the River Otter Beaver Trail was. And I had been down there for years, very regularly, know it like the back of my hand, had followed the trail with immense interest and had just never seen a beaver, seen all the signs, never seen the animal. Every other person, it seemed on the path, oh, did you just see that beaver five minutes ago? And I was like, well, no, of course I didn't, because beavers hate me. So um, <laughs> anyway, so it was a perfect... Look at you now. <laughs> how smug I am now. <laughs> um, it, was a, <laughs> it was a perfect summer evening, and I cycled down there with my friend. And I thought, let's just go see if we can see one. And we went down there. It was perfect. There was no wind. It was warm. It was just prime beaver time. And uh, anyway, we didn't see one to start with. And then I was just about to go. And then um, someone was like, Beaver, Beaver, get down. It was like, oh, <laughs> oh God. Army crawl. Yeah, get down. And, uh, and then there she was. And it was a, it was a huge, she was huge, big, big girl. Um, and she had a pink tag. She was one of the first releases <laughs> as part of the trial. And um, she was clearly suckling kits because she had enormous boobs. And she was on the... <laughs> She was on the other side of the bank and it's still quite close. And she was fully out of the water. And what was so beautiful about it is that she was so relaxed uh, that she was just exhibiting this incredible natural behaviour of grooming. And what was so uh, touching is how... um, just how much she looked like a person in the shower, especially a woman washing themselves. She just, she had her full paws all over. She was just rubbing underneath, getting all the creases, rubbing her boobs like this, you know, just really scratching behind her ears. And it was just so joyful to watch because now every time I'm in the shower and my mum got obsessed with it as well, she's now, oh, I, I, I wash like the mummy beaver in the shower. It's too much information, mother. <laughs> Anyway, that was my first time seeing a beaver and it was just so wonderful and um, just amazing to see this animal back exhibiting natural behaviour in a wild environment um, and it's something I, I won't forget in a hurry. Very briefly, my experience of um, the first beaver I saw was in the enclosure at the Cornwall Beaver Project. And it really was really exciting, genuinely exciting. I went down there one evening um, with my colleague James and we walked around for about an hour and a half. And within within 10 minutes of being there, 
um, we spooked the beaver and there was this characteristic tail slap on the water. So they have this mechanism to warn others of danger. And if they get, if they hear you coming, you hear this slap. And Chris says, well, that's, that's that for the evening. <laughs> that's it. it goes your chance of seeing a beaver. And I was like, I am not going to be outdone by this creature. So Chris naffed off and went up, went up, um, went up the hill again. And I said, I'm happy to, you know, stick it out for a couple of hours. And, and we walked around the entire enclosure about an hour and a half more and we're thoroughly rewarded um by i've got got within about a foot of a beaver with a red torch so it didn't know i was there and i just sat watching it for ages and it was eating um gnawing mm. making the most amazing sound this gnawing sound mm, it it's is. really it's so really noisy, cool isn't it? it's like a yeah there's crunch 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 and it was just it yeah. was an incredible experience because you don't often get that close to a unique creature and this is it's a really new thing for me um, and then eventually it sort of waddled off and just entered the water and suddenly became this really graceful thing and swam off from us. And I was just, I was uh, lost for words for a little bit. It was a really amazing experience. They're very, very cool. They really are. They really are. I've definitely fallen in love with them this year. How can you not, really? How can you not? I saw, um, I think, for, so for me, my first, the first time I saw a beaver, it was a beaver kit and it was tiny and I think I kind of assumed that all oh, beavers sweet. were quite small having seen it. And it was just the excitement of seeing one was enough. I was like, all, I only saw its head as it was swimming. But I was like, oh my God, it's in the water. It's there. It's, it's amazing. And then, then I went to um, Woodland Valley Farm and went around with Chris and we saw the two adults grooming the two kits out of the water. And I was just like, screw the last experience this is amazing Precious. and it was, it was yeah. like, I, I can't sit and watch yeah. tv for an hour but i could sit not moving and watch these guys just grooming and like like you said with their little paws they're mm. really dexterous and they're like tiny little properly proper little hands mm. and you, just watching them together was like you can project a lot of human behavior on beavers sometimes i don't know if that's just because i sit and and i have to look at so many pictures and videos of them which is not a bad part of my job <laughs> um but it, it's the, the there's just something really special about them and i think they've in all the years where they could have captivated public attention i think it's there's something really interesting and special about the fact that they've had such a year this year for so many reasons mm. um and it's it's so heartwarming to see how there is whoever you are there is always a part of you that wants to connect with nature and, and wants to enjoy it and is fascinated by it. And I think the beaver has something special about it that it really brings out that wonder and that awe and that sense of fascination with the natural world that, that not many animals can do, especially here in the UK where we seem bereft of, mm. or we've, we've kind mm. of been, been conditioned to feel that we're bereft of cool animals and cool big wildlife and things. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So what, before we wrap up, I'm sure we've convinced everyone listening that they want to go and see and find a beaver, but what advice would you give to people who want to go and see a beaver, but also, you know, how to do it safely, both for them and for us? Eva Beaver. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, we've, we've written a... Um, beaver watching code haven't we sophie um which we can direct people mm, to online it's on our yeah. um, twitter feed but um it's it's standard sort of 
respect for nature. They are wild creatures. And unless you have specifically sought out an enclosure to see them, you need to be aware that they, like any wild creature, need some, they need distance, they will be afraid of us. Um, they need space. And this is the big thing we need to learn, really, as um, a nation, is to give nature a bit more space. But, you know, they are a wonderful word, crepuscular. So they come out not quite nocturnal. They come out at dawn and dusk, um, generally. So that's a good time to go and try and find them. Um, and uh, what else would you say, Sophie? I think that, I think it's all, yeah, all about just giving them space and it's a brilliant opportunity to um, engage with people about beavers. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's if you're walking along a path and you think you've seen a beaver or you're specifically looking for beavers and you've maybe seen some field signs of their gnawing activity and people come along and maybe ask what you're looking at, it's a really good opportunity to maybe just say, oh, I'm looking for beavers. Um, and as kind of cliche and naff as that might sound, um, we're still very much uh, in the phase where we just need as many people as possible backing the beavers and backing nature and backing the connection to nature. And if you're wondering how you can, you know, play a part in that or, or feel like you're making a difference, simply by engaging one other person and sharing your joy with them, sharing your interest, sharing what you're up to, that's a really positive thing because that person may well go away feeling inspired or just curious. You know, if you can pique someone's curiosity, um, that's that's a really good thing. And uh, on a practical sense, don't be tempted to get in the water with them. There is no need to get in the water with them. If you're in a kayak or on a paddleboard or something and you think you've seen a beaver, please, please, please just keep your distance because there is no need to get close and to get, a, you know, an Instagram worthy photo of them. A shaky distance zoomed in photo is quite enough, I think, <laughs> unless you've got a really nice lens, in which case go for it. <laughs> in which case, definitely don't get in. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And send us all well, your photos. We need them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Send everything to, to Beaver Trust. Um, well, listen, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast and for talking about what has now become one of my favourite creatures. You've definitely imparted some uh, some love this way um, this year. Sophie, you actually came on the podcast before. Do you remember when it was in its very infantile stages? For an I episode, did. That I was think. so fun when we it could was, actually record in person. A... <laughs> yeah, but it was a bit of a shambles. <laughs> no, not I can't at all. believe it. Have you ever? Can't believe it. Do you not remember? It so, was not a shambles uh, at Eva, all. this is in the early days when we, we wrote scripts up and had like running orders on pieces of paper <laughs> and Sophie and I had it up on the wall oh, and then yeah. mid-recording it <laughs> fell off <laughs> oh, yeah. and we had to we had to stop and reattach it so that we knew what it <laughs> oh, was supposed to be doing. Scramble, scramble. Like, we can't do it without notes. Oh, God. <laughs> No, it, it was, was funny. Fun. Yeah, not not like these days. We just do everything on the fly. But um, well, be, I hope to see you both in person sometime soon yeah, when it all is safe for to sure. do. I need to have a vegetable nice. patch growing lesson from both of you, please. Oh, Anytime. from Eva. I'm definitely the student. Yeah, you in had this a as well. you had a, a, a enormous courgette slash marrows when I saw you last. <laughs> to be fair, not my a euphemism. Was king. <laughs> surprise <laughs> no my courgettes did very well this year um parsnips did well but my carrots i think i worked out the problem with my carrots is that i picked them too early because i'm just really impatient <laughs> so Ooh. next year eva i'm going to follow your advice on leaving things so that they are actually reaching full size and i'm not scoffing my face every <laughs> lunch break when i go outside oh, irresistible though <laughs> lovely thanks for so, having us guys where can oh you're always welcome 
But where can everyone find more from Beaver Trust? You have got a new podcast. You've recently released a new film. Tell us more. Yeah, so the podcast is available on all major platforms. Look up The Lodgecast. Um, But the best way to keep in touch, really, and follow us is on social media, at Beaver Trust. Um, We're on Insta, Facebook, um, Twitter. Um, And, yeah, you can find out more there or head over to our website, beavertrust.org. And the Lodge section of that has a media page with our latest film called Beavers Without Borders and a beautiful animation there by Lauren Cook explaining all about the beaver. Uh, particularly good for young audiences and some activities so you know if you've got kids at home you can do some beavery stuff with them or share it with your local school all that kind of stuff so there's lots available and huge amounts to look forward to next year indeed exactly that's it (laughs) (laughs) thanks (laughs) thanks for listening everyone don't forget that Every view that we have expressed in this podcast, they are all our own. Uh, so if you've got a problem with anything that anyone said, take it up with us and not anyone that we work for or are affiliated with. Um, you can get more from For What It's Earth on our social media. Just search For What It's Earth podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we'll be back with another episode in two weeks.